Do you remember the day that your life changed? That marker, that day, that moment in your life where everything changed. I know I do. But mine, it didn't change for the good. It was a moment of destruction in my life. I want to share that with you today. Thanks for joining us online. And I hope you give me a little bit of time to share a personal moment in my life. I was court ordered to have supervised visitations to see my daughter, Alyssa. Was mandated to have a supervisor and I had to pay for that person. I had to be there on Saturday at 12 up at the place to meet her. And I showed up a few minutes before, but I had a problem. I had $35 and I needed to have $50, but I had a big bag of drugs. If you wanna know what they were, they were methamphetamine. And I didn't have enough money to go to see my daughter. So what do I do is I call it dialing for dollars. I started calling people, seeing if they would come by. And ultimately by 1230, I had somebody come by and I did a drug deal in the parking lot to get enough money to go visit my daughter. I run upstairs, I'm late, I'm sweating, probably look and smell terrible. And I was told as I walked up there, I'm sorry, you can't see your daughter. And she was right there. You could see her through that, that, that window. And it was double, so she couldn't see me, but I could see her. And I'm like, she's right there. I don't care if I only get to see her for 10 minutes. And they're like, I'm sorry, you needed to be here 15 minutes ago. You're too late. And so I kind of started yelling, Alyssa. And security came, and I didn't want to make a huge scene. So I left the building. I was distraught. I mean, I was angry and I was completely destroyed, mortified. I was feeling all kinds of guilt, all kinds of shame. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, my head said this, and maybe you've heard this before, what kind of loser does that? What kind of loser can't make it to make a visit to see your child? I sat there for about an hour mortified. And I, I was kind of stalking a little bit. And I know you're not, that's not politically correct, but I was hoping to see your mom and her leave and maybe catch up with her, but it never happened. And I sat there an hour, maybe two, and I'm just stuck. I didn't know what to do. So I was screaming at myself. I was yelling at myself. I was so broken. This day, my life changed. So I came up with a plan. I was gonna take some action. So this will never happen again. That was the plan. This is never gonna happen again in my life. So here was the plan. I was gonna take that $50 that I got to go see her that I didn't use, and I was gonna stuff it into my wallet, you know, in that hidden place we put money. That was it. That was my plan. Yeah, just stuffing $50. Now, I know that sounds stupid, but that's what I came up with. And the truth is, a couple days later, I needed the money, so I spent that money. This failure haunted me. Haunted me. And my life started to spin out of control because of this day and these actions that I took. My soul was being led by my flesh, which means I was leading my life and not by the Spirit. So I wasn't in that real faith and that real relationship. My plan, it was me. 
I was going to do it. I was going to do more, be better, try harder, be a stronger person. It's your child. She deserves it. Those are the words that I said. And that was the plan. I'm so grateful that you're joining us online. This online community is something that we really value and I hope you see that. And I, th I hope that you stick around with us for a few minutes to kind of finish this story, but really hear how God intercedes in our story and how he gives us the ability to take action and do better with him. Today, we continue on this series, Real Faith and Real Relationships. And here's what I've learned. And if you're here and you're ready to click off, know this, that if you love love God and love others, you will then have real faith and real relationships and you will have real things happening better for the glory of God. And when I mean better, it's not meaning perfect. It just means you're going to be heading in a direction more godly and less self-will and having this selfish plan. So today we're going to continue on our, our sermon series, we're going to turn to chapter 3 in 1 John, it's kind of at the end of the Bible. We're going to just finish off this chapter with a few verses, and I hope that you'll really kind of allow it to just settle within your heart, because one of the verses is one of my favorite verses in the Bible I use quite a bit, especially in weddings. So here's what it says, 1 John, into the chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, it says, Dear children, that's technion, which means the healthy child that's in a healthy relationship with God. Let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Father, we love you and I pray that you will show truth to us so that we can actively seek you and do things more for the uh, kingdom of God. Help us grow in you and in community and in fellowship so that we can get real and get right with you. Father, I ask right now that you speak to the people you speak through me and you use this vehicle, YouTube and uh, Facebook and the podcast for your glory. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Amen. So I said, I, I use this a lot because I heard Jeremy do a wedding once many years ago and I heard this verse and I use it a lot because, you know, two people come together and they say, I love you, but you will know if they really love them by their actions. And I say that a lot. It's like, you can say a few vows, but if you really don't mean it, it's going to show by the way that you live your life. You can say something, but really proof is in the pudding, they say, or is proof is by your actions. Do you really love me? If you do, you will actually show it by the way that you do things in life. I first learned this verse in seminary through the King James. I went to a Baptist seminary and the King James says something like this. This is new King James. It says, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in, in truth. And I love that. But here's what I want you to know. Life is not solved by word or tongue. That's not how it works. If there was just solutions in what we say, then there would be so less murder, less domestic violence. The addict or those that are addicted, many of them would never have to be strung out in addiction because the people that love them would say, I love you and these words should be enough. There'd be less suicide. The world would be a better place if it was just about words. But really, the truth is it's about action. It's not just words. I wish words can change us. What I found out, the only words that can is opening up to the Word of God and reading them and living them and using them actively. And that's 
what John is talking about here. Let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show us by our actions. There's this great place in Ezekiel 33. Write it down. Ezekiel 33, go to it. I think in verse 27, it talks about this is the Lord talking. But I want to get to it because I think it's such a cool place. And it really reminds me about today. So listen to what it says. And let's just read a little bit. Verse 30, Ezekiel 33:30. Here's what it says. Son of man, your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you at the doors. This is the, the, the son of God. They say to each other, come on, let's go and hear the prophet tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you. Wow. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what they say. That's exactly what John is challenging us. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their hearts seek after money. They are very you are very entertaining to them. Someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays a fine music, uh, musical instrument. He's saying the church has become this place of entertainment. And that's what he's talking about is we're going to look at the, the Messiah or this prophet as someone who's just entertainment. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. But these things all, but when these terrible things happen to them, as they certainly will, they will know that the prophet has been among them. I was just at a conference recently, and for years we've been going to the same conference, our staff, and one of the guys that talked about it says, we no longer can say that the world is changing, it's changed. And I don't know if we're ever gonna go back. And today we see, this is what the Lord says, Jesus has come. And we have now made church about whispering about Jesus and talking about Jesus, but really he's on the outside looking in. It's like that moment in Revelation where he's trying to get into the church, but we don't let him in. We hear these things and we're excited, but really church is about entertainment and songs. It's not about the word of God. And then he says, when all this stuff happens, we will realize that the prophet or the, the Lord was really here and God is speaking and has spoken. The truth is, church, we've fallen. We're at that place. We can't act like it's still coming. We're at that place. Today, Christianity is being persecuted or pushed aside for other agendas. And we just have to realize that is true. And there's one solution. That's love. That's love. God wants us to be active in our love and live in the truth of his love. And that's what he's communicating. Verse 19 says, our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. When I stand before God, I'm going to live confidently that the truth that I'm speaking today and hope I always speak will be from God and will be about God and not about peripheral things. When we stand before God, we have the ability or want to have the ability to be confident and not, you know, being chastised because of how we lived our life. And when I read this, the first thing that comes to my mind is that moment where Pilate asks and he says, truth, what is truth? Because today my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. And what I believe and what my ways are are really what people are surrounding. It's like, well, that's truth. And that's just not true. The truth is God's words and God's way. 
And if you look at the Bible in the whole and not as a whole and not just pick out a few verses, you can't take a few verses to make truth. You got to put it together as a whole and boil it down. And it would say, love God and love others as you love yourself. The Apostle Paul talks about this too in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And I love these verses too. Really connect well with this verses that John's talking about. It says, don't just to pretend to love others. Don't pretend. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hate the sin. But hold tightly to what is good. Love the sinner. Love each other with genuine affection. Love with genuine affection. Here's the, ba the best part. Take delight in honoring each other. I remember Jeremy gave a message outside, a, uh, I don't know, a year ago or something, talking about honor. And do we really honor people? And I don't know if you realize this, but the only solution I see of getting the church and people in a better place is love. Honoring people with genuine love. Where I came from, I can't pretend. Where I came from, my life was already smoke and mirrors and lying and cheating and stealing. I was living a fake life because I never really told people the truth like I'm telling you today. My life needed to change and the only thing that I can do was take different action than the actions that I was taking. And that brings us to verse 20 and I love this verse. It's the one that hit me hard as I was reading it. It says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. That should be something that you have highlighted and memorized. And if you don't memorize it now, it should be. You need to realize that when we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. He knows everything. The word here, maybe in your translation says heart. The word feelings here really equates to this word heart. The King James would say, for if your heart if our heart condemns us or if you're feeling guilty, realize God is greater than that, that, that heart condemning. This feeling guilty or shame comes from this word cardio. That's where we get cardiac or cardio or uh, the word for heart in our language. And it's that same heart. And what John is trying to speak to us about is that moment when your heart has hurt. You know, that moment of loss or, or separation or death, that moment where your heart has hurt, that type of pain where your heart isn't just breaking, it's broken, it's shattered in a million different pieces and it never looks like it's going to come back together. I was able to do a podcast about loss this last week and it was really great to have my friend Michelle talk to me about loss and we had great fellowship during that time. But what we see in this verse is that moment where I felt that heart broken and shattered in a million pieces that day in my car after I missed my daughter's appointment. My plan, my plan was me. My plan was to do better, to do more. And you know what? That following weekend, I did the same exact thing. This time I showed up late, had the money, didn't make it. They told me I couldn't see her. The following week, I didn't have enough money and I sat in the parking lot and just wept thinking maybe I could see her mom bring her. And that was the last Saturday I showed up. I realized I couldn't do it. I couldn't make it at noon on Saturday with $50 to see my daughter. My life didn't have the ability. I didn't have control. So I stopped. I just stopped going. 
I didn't stop loving my daughter, but I couldn't make it. From that point on, I couldn't even say my daughter's name without going into a mental health crisis to the point I didn't cry like I would today. You know what I do? I'd numb myself with drugs and alcohol and pills and I would lose weeks at a time in my life. Waking up from a stupor four or five days later, not knowing where I'm at and what I'm doing for the most part. Drowning out emotions and masking my feelings with other things and my friends. I don't know if they're my friends. I've never heard from them since. But these people that I were hanging out with, they knew they couldn't bring up my daughter's name or I would lose it. And so we really didn't have real faith or real relationship in anything because I couldn't even talk about the biggest part of my life. My plan was me. Is your plan you? Is your plan to do better, to do more, try harder? This doesn't work. And it definitely doesn't work for Christianity. That's not God's plan. God so loved the world so that you can do better, to do more, to try harder. That's not Christianity. It's not about just reading more and praying more and having more faith. That's not God. That's what you've been taught by maybe a leader like me or a pastor. And maybe I preached like that at the beginning. I hope not, but it's possible. We think this is the only way. It's, well, it's got to be me. I've got to do more. But that's not what God wants. I know what God wants for me is he wants me to want him, to love him, to trust him, to give him my heart. That's all he wants. He doesn't want you to do more, try harder. He just wants to be in that relationship with you, a real relationship, having a real faithful moment with him. I don't know if you're getting this. Here's what he's saying. He wants me to humble up and drop to my knees and give him all of my guilt, all of my shame, all of my pain, all of my anger and my mental anguish. If I'm depressed, he wants me to come to the throne room, drop myself at the foot of the cross and give him everything. All my pain. When I, when I drop and I seek him first and I seek his truth and then I wait. That's what he wants me to do is wait on him. I was at Maverick City a couple weeks ago, uh, the, uh, a music concert out in uh, uh, Palmdale. And they sang this song about waiting on the Lord. And I just remember, and the song went on for like 10 or 12 minutes. And I just remember the Lord whispering to me constantly, just wait. Just wait, just wait. That's what God wants from us, why? The second part of this verse says, God is greater than our feelings. God is greater than our feelings. He's greater than our heart is what the actual text would say. All that guilt, all that shame, all that hate, all that anger, all the depression, all the internal turmoil that you have, he is bigger than those feelings and he knows everything. My God ain't dumb. My God ain't dumb. He knows all things and he isn't surprised by your feelings and he isn't surprised by your failures and he wasn't surprised that I couldn't do it on my own and do more and try harder. He wasn't surprised because he ain't dumb. He ain't surprised when you do your DIY thing. I'm gonna do it myself. That's what we do. 
We, we muscle it. We suit up. We tighten up the belt. We put the boots on and we're going to work harder and do more. And we always come to the same failing feelings. I just can't do it. God ain't surprised at all. He is surprised that you don't believe that he is bigger than your feelings. He is surprised that you don't realize how much he loves you. He is surprised that you forget to seek him first because if you go to this church and you listen to this online or come to church live, you are going to hear constantly, seek first the kingdom of God, love God, put him first because that's what we preach. You are told regularly here. He is surprised that you don't realize that you're... You, you, your feelings aren't bigger than him and that you're loved and that you don't seek the kingdom of God. Let me give you another example. It's like a parent, you know, kids today, we used to, before we had text and, and uh, social media, used to have telephone conversations and you'd hear your kids over uh, speaking and you'd hear a kid say, and their parent, they didn't know their parents were around, I don't even know if my parents really care for me or love me. And the parent that hears that is mortified because that's nothing like the truth. That's nothing like the truth or is the truth. But sometimes our feelings get in the way of understanding and knowing that God is there. Our father is there and he's like that parent that loves us and cares for us and wants us to come to him. God wants to get rid of that feeling of guilt and shame, that feeling of pain because it's blocking us. But listen, it's not going to be easy. And I guarantee you, it's not going to be fun. It's like God, having to drop 20 pounds and knowing that I have to go to the gym and run and sweat. And I'm going to have to put aside the fries and the burgers and I'm going to have to eat kale for the next 20 years. It's not going to be fun, but it will come if you take those right actions. For me, I had to keep running from my feelings. I had to keep running until I had nowhere to go. And I had to self-destruct. And you know what God did? You know what God did in his love because he loves me so much? You know what he did? He let me do that. He let me self-destruct. He let me run. He didn't try and cage me and try and put me back into the pen. He let me run to that place so I had no other place to go. And you know what? God's not afraid of that process. And I and you also should be afraid of that process because he's with you and he loves you and he wants to change your life with appropriate actions. Verse 21, these are the last three verses. It says, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. If our hearts aren't broken, and if we can get right and take appropriate action, then we can be in that place of real faith and we can have that real trusting relationship with God that we can come with bold confidence before the Lord. Now, I think there's two types of this confidence. The first one is what we call a false confidence. It's this confidence about self and about selfish illusions. And this isn't what John is talking about at all. It's almost this arrogant confidence. You know, that puffy headed person that comes in and has too much confidence for all of us and we can see it a mile away. It seems like that's where we're at in this country today. We're in this puffy chested Democrat Republican mindset and that's where we're finding our hope and our confidence. And we are being so bold in that, that it's absolutely destroying the fabric of who we are as a country. We can't come together at all if we're Democrat and Republican. We can't even be in the same room. 
And church, that's not the truth. We can because we should love each other. The glorious confidence that John is talking about is having a great confidence in Jesus Christ. And this comes when you are boldly seeking him first, putting Christ above everything and boldly saying the kingdom of God comes before anything else in my life. When the kingdom of God comes before everything else, this is bold, this is powerful. And because I'm in that bold relationship with God, then I start telling everybody, look, look at what God is doing and I can share that boldness with other people. And isn't that what the kingdom of God is all about? Being bold with Christ and his kingdom to give it away and share at all costs? Listen to what Martin Luther says, not Martin Luther King Jr., but listen to this. I love this quote, and I, and I think this could really kind of set this apart for us. It says, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Can you stake your life on the kingdom of God? Or can you stake your life on Christ a thousand times? I'm not talking about, oh yeah, I love God and say it in front of a, a group of five or six people. I'm talking about staking your life. That's confidence. And that's what John's trying to get. When my heart is right and I'm no longer feeling these, these feelings and my heart is breaking because I'm not putting God first and I don't realize that God is bigger than my feelings, I, I, I'm broken. But when I do have confidence, I have this opportunity to live a life of, of, of blessing. Let me share a little bit more. Jeremiah 17 verse seven says this, but, the, but blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, whose confidence is, him, uh, is in him. So what do I do? I have to trust God. And if I trust, I have confidence in God. And then I receive blessings. Well, what does blessings even mean? We, we say that a lot in church and it's this very Christianese word. It's like, what does a blessing mean? Blessing means things that come from God because I'm obedient to God and I live for God. He wants to then give me a million little blessings, little small things in your life that is specifically tailored to you so that you can know that God is for you and not against you. He wants to have you blessed and it comes by trusting trusting in him and having confidence in him. Verse 22 says this, and when we receive from him what and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do things that please him. Now, this verse to me, I think we read it if you read it like I do, I only read the first part of this and I forget the second part because I like the first part. But here's what the first part says. And we receive from him whatever we ask, you know, blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. But we need to rearrange this. Now, I, I'm dyslexic, so this is hard for me, but we got to put these things backwards. And here's what it says. Do things that please him because we obey him and then we will receive whatever we ask of him. Those are kind of the qualifications before we get there. If we put those up first, you will see that it changes the whole concept or construct of that sentence. And maybe your, maybe your translation already does that, but the idea here is that we need to put him first and do things that pleases him. So what is that? Well, we actively seek him. We seek God's will. It means loving God and loving others. And none of this pretend crap. When I've got to tell somebody that I'm doing the will of God and I'm doing this for the kingdom of God, I'm probably not doing the will of God or doing it for the kingdom of God. If I've got to attach a Bible verse to something I think is right, it's probably not necessarily right. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was 
I, I saw something with a mom and her kids and she did some things that I thought were uh, horrible. And then she attached a Bible verse and acted like that was God's will. That's not God's will. That's not putting God first. When you've got to tell someone that you're doing God's will, you're really not doing God's will. Why? Because it says, and this reminds me of what Jeremy was speaking last week, we will be known by our love. I should have love be the outpour and someone should say, that person is loving. They must be a Christian, a little image of Christ. Verse 23, and this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of, of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded. This is a command. How do we know that? What does the Greek word say? The Greek word says it's a command. So it means that we should command, laugh out loud. It's just that simple. Sometimes it's just black and white and all we can do is say this is a command. And if it's a command, it means it's a must. So what do we do? There's two parts to this. First, we believe in the name. And this is not simply just believing in Jesus or even that he did certain things to die on the cross. It's actually believing in him and his name and his image that he is the one that we put our belief in and on. He is the one that took, uh, took all of our sin and we believe in him. He is the one that we trust and we rely and we cling to. It's not intellectual knowledge. It's not about knowing and understanding. It's about trusting, obeying, and then the output of that should be me loving because we will be known by our love. The second part of this sentence here talks about this commandment that John is quoting what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says in John 15, 12, he says, this is my commandment that you are to love one another as I have loved you. These are the red letters of Jesus and he's just telling the disciples, you need to love one another as I have loved you. But if you go one more verse over, John chapter 15, verse 13, he says, there's no greater love than to lay uh, one's life down for another. So the solution here that John is referring back to, John chapter 15, is the example of death, to die, to die to self, to die to your dreams and desires, to die to your opinions and, and your preferences, your rights and your political affiliation, to die. That's the solution, to lay one's life down for another person. Are you willing to lay your life down for a Republican or a Democrat so that we can come together? That's the example that John is trying to communicate and he communicates what Jesus says in John chapter 15. This love, it's not an option for some Christians. Well, I, I you know, I, I, I kind of love Democrats. I have some Democrat friends or I kind of love Republicans. I, I know one or two at church that I kind of like. This isn't a command for some, it's a command for all. It's a command for all of us. And it means that it's something that's critical for you and I to have that real relationship with God. And the thought continues in John, uh, the, the end chapter in verse 24. Here's what he says, those who obey God's commands, when we put God's commands first, when we seek first the kingdom of God and the commands become part of my first part of, uh, they become part of my life above anything else, I have the opportunity to do more for God. When we, th those who obey God's commands remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. When we obey this love command at all cost, we remain in fellowship with God. 
with his son and his Holy Spirit. Now, this is a theme. We've been now three chapters in into this book of John, 1 John, and it constantly comes back to fellowship because when I'm in right fellowship with God, I'm in that real faith and real relationships. That's why this title is so critical to this message series because all we're trying to do is pour into you how critical it is for you to have a real faith walk with Christ. And on the flip side, or as Jeremy said last week, flipping the script that in that I then have real relationship with God, not this fake pretend crap, real relationship with God. And in that there's an outpouring of the relationships around me. Fellowship is kind of this Christian word. And all that means to me is that if I'm in fellowship with Christ, I have this constant contact. I am tethered. I can't move. I've got this thing tethering me. So when I get outside of my rope, I get all tangled up. I know I need to come back and, 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 and confess and get right and, 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 and repent and get closer to God. It means constantly being contacted with God and in contact. And then when I'm in that constant contact, I'm able to hear the Spirit of God and hopefully be led into that right place by the Spirit of God. He wants to lead me into that place. And so in the last year or so, I've had to shun away some of my peripheral things, some of the things that I love. And I don't know if you know this, I don't know if it's obvious to you, but I have huge opinions and, and, and ideas about the, the country and about where we should be and what I think is right and wrong, but they don't necessarily jive with what the scripture says. So I had to walk away from some of that because it's not healthy to me. And I want to be healthy so that I can create a healthy vehicle of God to you. And I hope that makes sense. Don't think that I'm oblivious to what's going on. I am but I'm trying to stay true to the gospel. That means I'm focused on Christ. I'm kingdom driven and I'm fully trusting in a big God to walk, walk us through this time and get us out of feelings, out of this place where my heart is condemning and into a place where my heart is bold and confidence for the kingdom of God. Do you ever ask yourself, why is Jeff sharing this? Have you asked yourself, why would I share this painful place? You, you should ask yourself that. Why am I sharing one of the deepest painful places in my life? Because really this is before I got locked up. My life spins out of control and these few weekends really kind of catapult me into the darkest place I've ever been. You want to know why? It's because I love you. And I love you enough to tell you the truth and I love you enough to tell you that God's love is far greater than any man's love or any woman's love or any child's love. We put our child and our spouses above God. And listen, I'm sharing this so that you can see that God's love is big, it's real, it's worthy, and it can change you. His kindness leads us to repentance. And I'm sharing this love because I want to show you how God has taken a rotten wretch of a human being like me, who by the world's eyes maybe didn't look rotten most of the time, but really inside I was destroyed and a wreck for many years. But God's love and his will and his word revived my heart and his love transformed me. So when I hear these words, verse 18, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show us by actions 
This means so much to me. When I was locked up, somebody gave me a Bible. And so I read it. Do you have a Bible? If you have a Bible, then maybe you should read it. Open it up. And I'm just giving you the suggestion because maybe that's the solution in your life. When I was reading the Bible, I remember coming to Matthew 6 and it talked about communicating to God and praying, they called it. It's just talking to God. And Matthew 6, I remember reading it, just talked about praying to God and asking Him, communicating Him and seeking Him. And when I was locked up, I remember reading verses like this that said, I need to love others. I need to love my enemies. And you know what God did? God put me in the place where some of the worst of the worst people live and, uh, and reside. Jails and prisons. And I had to love stinky men. Men that nobody wanted to love. Some people were horrible and didn't care about you. But God cares about them. He challenged me to love people that were unlovable. And I got some other people that are inside that were lovable and great people. There's good people locked up, just like there's evil. So today, I have to continue to take the same actions that I did 20 years ago. It's pretty simple. And I want to give them to you. I want to gift them. Please receive these and try and put them in your daily walk. And here's the three things. I have to learn to trust God. Every day I get up and say, God, I, I, I got to trust that you're going to take me in the places and you're going to help me say the things that I'm supposed to say. And more than that, Lord, you're going to keep me above the fray and not let me fall to sin and fall to self and fall to this world. The first thing I can do is just trust God. And the second part is I've got to work on myself or I've got to build myself up. I've got to build myself. And the only way that I can do that, it's not going to the gym and lifting weights and running, though I like that. I mean, I need that, obviously. But I'm talking about building myself up through God. And you know what God does? He gives me words, but He also gives me a community. And this week I was in community with our staff at a conference and it really built me up. I came home so refreshed and so full of God's grace and I, I, I got to trust God and then I've got to build myself up and I do that in community. And the last part is I've got to help or love others. I've got to help people and I've got to show my love so that I can show people that I'm a Christian and it's loving other people. And that's what God wants us to do. And one of the great ways that I can show you that I love you is I can be vulnerable and I can share some of the worst things in my life. Number one, so you don't have to live with them. But number two, realizing that we have a big God that can wash those feelings into his glorious blood and bring out a new person over time when you trust and when you work on yourself and you learn to help and love other people. I'm so grateful that you've tuned in today. And as we close, I just ask that you give God the praise and glory for what he's doing today. And let's pray together and, and let's pray for salvation. Maybe you don't need salvation, but pray for that person online because I guarantee you someone's watching or listening that needs a savior. So if you're saved, pray for that person. And if you're not, listen and invite Christ in. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful 
that you are a big God, bigger than our feelings, and that you help us learn to love ourselves and love others as you have loved us. Lord, transform us and change us because of who you are. Holy Spirit, take over every aspect of our lives. Help us not pretend to love others, but really love. Hate what is wrong, but love what is right. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. And Father, I ask that your powerful spirit goes out right now and brings people into a powerful place of action so that your kingdom will come first and that your words will eat out of people's lives and that your love will be shown because of the outpouring of your love and your will in people's, in people's heart. If there's someone out here listening or, or watching and they need a savior and want this change and want this big God to wipe away their crushed heart or brokenness or loss in their life, all you have to do is say a simple prayer. It's a, called a prayer of salvation so that you can be right with God and saved from yourself and have this salvation for the rest of your life to grow. So all you gotta do is repeat with me. Father, forgive me for what I've done and who I've become. Cleanse me with your blood because you died upon the cross. And Lord, I thank you for those three days later that you rose because you resurrect me. And one day I will be with you in eternity because of that resurrection. And Father, I just give you my heart, mind, and soul, and I ask that the Holy Spirit takes over every part of me and teaches me to walk in your ways from now until I see you in heaven. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Hey, we're so grateful that you've joined us today. If you haven't come back to church in a while, we'd love to see you. It's always great. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. It's a great opportunity for you to come back. Just say hi. If not, give Dustin, our online pastor, a thumbs up on the chat bar. We're so grateful that you've joined us. Don't forget prayer requests, prayer requests, prayer requests. We want to pray for you. God bless you. God loves you. And God is always with you. Have a great day.